Thank you for downloading the Racers Recap. If you want to join in on the conversation live, we record these Sundays, 7 p.m. Eastern at racersrecap.com. If you're listening afterwards, feel free to chime in on the YouTube video itself or on social using the hashtag racersrecap. And we'll find you. Enjoy the show. Hey there. What do you say there, world? Welcome back to uh, what's going to be the best episode we have ever done. And if you're here now, this is history in the making. Uh, my name is Justin, season 27, and I am joined by an elite panel of one idiot, Joey Cavino, <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> my doctor friend and extraordinary racer, James Earl Corley, Hi. and uh, balancing us out completely, uh, gold medalist Jen Hudak. How are you? And, uh, of course... Hi. Before you go any further. Yes. Can someone confirm this? Because I'm looking at something where it's not like very well be in the wrong place. You might. It's be. on. It's rolling. It's definitely rolling. I'm back to you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I a just confirmed it. The, the it's it's probably a separate room because a separate broadcast started. So it might have to go back to the channel and just go to the live broadcast. This chat is talking. Everybody's here. All right, so let's welcome our guest. Uh, let, let's go with the intro. Um, ladies and gentlemen, a fellow New Yorker who graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology, who's produced Oprah's Big Give, Take the Money and Run, Focus Rally America, Profiles on the Frontline, The Great Escape, Race to the Center of the Earth, Escape Routes, The Quest, the creator of The Amazing Race, which is seen in over 120 countries, has spawned 14 international versions. 10-time Emmy Award winner, the incredible Elise Doganieri. How are you? I'm great. Wow, that was an in, quite an introduction. Thank you for having me, Justin. I, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Um, Super excited for today. This, my crew said that before we announced it, I had to confirm at least three times because if, if we announced it and you didn't show up, they were not going to show up either. So I'm glad oh that you showed <laughs> I would never. That's how big of a deal you are, though, Elise. Like That's... the community has lost their mind when they heard you were going to be on the show. I, I, I like. I'm so. Um, I'm really honored by that. I just had no idea. So it's really special. It makes me super happy to be here, and uh, hope it's the first of more to come. Actually, That'd you got awesome. a bigger picture than me on the on the page, so I, I was a little. I, 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 I had to check that. my contract for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was like poster size. Yeah, we all moved. I had to move everybody over to get you, so <laughs> people you. could see you on the thumbnail. Oh my god! Uh, all right. Um, so uh, there's a million. I've literally we got over a hundred questions from Facebook and Reddit and Twitter and everywhere, but we'll we'll get to those later. Um, there's a couple things that I want to get to from this from the show as well. Uh, first off, did you know that Monet has a painting called La Casa de Doganieri uh, Vedengevale? I wow. Okay, I did not know Monet did one, but my family is uh, my dad and his father all came from italy and they came from campo basso and there is um a place uh with that painting i've seen that painting it's a little house on a hill and did you know that doganieri means customs person dogana is the person who checks your passport so how how fitting is that that all i do is travel and go through customs all the time it's like you're destined for this that's fine yeah, i had no idea until yeah and so the painting, yeah, it's the house of a customs officer in Benin Um, 
So yeah. it, I think it's worth like nine to ten million dollars. So when wow. when Bertram really messes up, tell him this is the gift that he needs to give you—the original Monet painting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the most the obvious questions, we'll get to some of those. And um, by doing research, uh, I watched that four-hour interview that you did with like the archive association oh, with wow. you and Bertram. So that like, they literally answered almost every question that I've had. I so. look like Elvira in that video. But I, I wish that's so funny. I was, I was telling Diana that your eyes are absolutely incredible. Cause th it's got this like nice dark around it, but it makes your green just pop. I was like, what's Aww. different. Thank you. I am. Um, I didn't look at it that way. I had like this, my hair looks super dark and I had like red lipstick and I was like, wow, the makeup, they had makeup people there, but you know, it was a look at the time, I guess it's a while ago, isn't it? It's gotta be. That was yeah, 2013, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it was good. They did that because all of, they did that interview with Bertram separately, me separately, and then us, the two of us together. And it was really good to get all of that out and, you know, archived for you know yeah. history any any fans out there i will post this link in the description if you want to know anything about the amazing race every question that you've asked on the fan page is literally answered in this interview i will post it uh there but we'll get to all the good stuff here as well um is there anything that you guys want to get to before i, I go through the barrage of questions I mean, I've, I've heard the story before, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of fans haven't about the kind of inception of the race, yeah. and, and the conversation between you and Bertram and how that all came about. Yeah. Okay. Um, I always think everybody has heard this, but probably not. So um, when I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City to study graphic design and advertising, and um, maybe I'm going back way too far. But anyway, I met Bertram in New York City. He was filming a pilot in New York. And I had started a graphic design business. We met, we fell in love in 1995. I moved to Los Angeles to be with him. We, um, we were about to get married and he had gone on a trip to MIPCOM in France. It's like a television conference where people talk about new shows. And he came back and I was working at an agency called DDB Needham and then Ogilvy and Mather for doing advertising when I moved here. And I said to Bert, you know, what's going on in television? Anything new out there? And he's like, yeah, you know, not really, nothing, nothing special. And this was 2000. And I was like, what is wrong with you people in television? You guys can't come up with a TV show and, you know, put something good on. There's, I said, there's nothing that I want to watch on television. And he's like, oh, you think it's so easy? You think it's so easy to come up with a TV show? Why don't you come up with one? And I said, fine, I will. Cause I'm just like this, you know, being sarcastic New Yorker, you know? And he was like, I'll give you five minutes. And honestly, I, I, I took the challenge, but the first thing that popped into my mind was um, a backpacking trip I took with my college roommate, Lori Casey. Um, when I graduated college, we went backpacking through Europe. We had like giant backpacks. I had a Ural pass. I had $1,000 for six weeks. And we went through highs and lows on that trip. We took the train everywhere. We slept on the train. We slept in hostels. We ate chocolate bread and drank wine all the time. But we had the most incredible adventure because we met so many people on the way in different countries. We got invited into people's homes for dinner. And I just it just opened up the world to me. Um, my, my parents had bought me the flight from JFK to Madrid as my graduation present on um, TWA. And um, 
that was uh, in 1990. And we went backpacking around and two weeks into the trip, we were getting along great. I was the one that had the, the Let's Go Europe book. And I was like, we're going to go here and I had everything planned out. I was very like organized. I think I drove Lori crazy because she just wanted to like, let's just see what we want to do today. And I was like, no, we've got to go here, here, here and here. And one day she woke up. Uh, we were supposed to go to the Vatican with some people we had met, some guys we met on the train. And it was like eight in the morning. I was like, we got to go. We got to be there before the, you know, at the front of the line. And she's like, she wakes up and she's like, this is not Chevy Chase's European vacation. And I can't do this every day. You need to calm down. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. So anyway, long story short, that experience popped into my mind. And I said to Bertram, what if we put people who know each other on a trip around the world and they've got to go to different countries and do things that the locals do that might be, you know, you know, fish out of water for an American. And I said, we can start in the US and go around the world and give them very little money and they won't speak the language. And, you know, I just had all these ideas that popped in, into my mind. And he said, hmm, I like, I like that idea. Why don't you write it up and, uh, you know, let's see if we can pitch it to a network. So because my my background was in graphic design, I made this beautiful um, presentation. I wrote up, you know, how the show would be and where we would go and put all these passports on the front cover and um, pitched it to NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC. And um, when CBS heard the pitch, it was less, it was, it was actually Gen Maynard heard it first. He loved the idea and then brought it all the way up to Les Moonves, who was uh, there at the time. And um, it was sold in the room, which doesn't happen. Wow. Ever. <laughs> and I remember Bertram, uh, I didn't get to go to that meeting and Bertram came to my office because I was working at the ad agency and he called me up. He's like, meet me downstairs. And he goes, I just sold the show to CBS. And I was like, what? Uh, I don't even know what that means. I was like, should I quit my job? He's like, no, no, no. Don't quit your job. It's television. It, we don't even know if it's actually going to get on the air. So I remember the first season we went scouting and we filmed, I took a leave of absence from my job because I had a really nice job at Ogilvy and Mather. And um, after the first season, we, it took a while before we got the pickup and then we got the pickup and I said, Bert, should I quit my job? He's like, yeah, I think you should quit your job. Now you can, let's, we should do this full time. So that was, sorry, that was a very long story, but that's how it all happened. But it's such a great story. Like, I feel like people don't, not a lot of people, I think like the real fanatics know that story, but not everyone does. And it's such a great story. You just kept the chat Thank room you. completely I... silent, except for, oh what? my God, this is incredible. This is incredible. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, and Aaron, like... Aaron and Arun, I'm sorry, Will and James, uh, a bunch of the racers are here and they have saying hi. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm talking through a psychic right now because I can't see them. Please tell them I say hello. <laughs> yes, we're in the room. What's her, I'm, I'm, what's her name from yeah. Ghost? I'm, I'm Odame Brown. Yeah, exactly. Demi Moore and, and Patrick Swayze. Um, and, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, um, when we sold the show, they said, you know, one of the reasons I think you were able to come up with an idea like that is because you weren't really in television before that. So you didn't know what the limitations might be. A lot of people try to come up with ideas, but they already put all these limitations like, oh, that can't be done. That can't be done. But Bertram had all these. Bertram has been in the business forever. I won't even say how many years older than longer than I am old. So <laughs> he had worked for National Geographic. He had done the TV show Cops for a long time. He traveled all over Africa and Asia and had made contacts 
all of his life since the 60s. He was born in Holland, so he did a thousand commercials. He had a commercial business. Then he traveled all over the world, meeting people, um, talking to embassies. And he had really set up a network of people on a global scale that he knew when I said this idea, he said, I already have all those people. I already know where we can go. I know who to call in India. I know who to call anywhere in Asia, uh, Africa, South America. So, you know, it was the perfect combination. To be honest, I had the idea and he had all the context and the experience to do a show like this. And that is one thing that, you know, when CBS heard the pitch, they said, the only person that we think could do this would be you, Bertram Van Munster. And, um, so it just it just worked, you know, and that was in we sold the show in June of 2000. And look, we just this is season 34 now. So here we are Jeez. You know, over 20 years later. That's absolutely incredible for any show to last that long. Never mind one that's uh, yeah, been as awarded as this one and then continues to like do new things, but still holds true to what the race originally was when it first aired so that that's really cool it doesn't have to have like 700 twists like survivor now every season has got to be 700 million different things because they got to keep it interesting this you could just put normal people put them on a race and it's and it's interesting and you guys always yeah we like normal people yeah because yeah. we're all so interesting there's so many people that are amazing and their backgrounds and their stories and if we can tell those stories and show those relationships it's very relatable when you watch these people on television because they're just like you and i absolutely because and and of course people see like some of these people have these incredible stories but these are the type of people whose stories need to be told or need to be told to like this season there's so many like you know, Akbar and Sherry are just normal people who are doing extraordinary things. Like they're yeah. helping thousands of people in their community and people. And yeah, they weren't Oprah and Ellen, but they're just normal teachers who are doing right. extraordinary things. And I think that's one of the great things that the race does. It highlights these normal people who do extraordinary things. Um, so I, obviously I've done a ton of research this week for, for, for the guests. And I heard that you dabbled in TV when you were in high school with the media club. So I reached out to oh I reached out to your friend. He dives deep, Elise. Like buckle up. He yeah. dives real deep. I, I oh my gosh! I reached out to your friend Margaret McHugh. Uh, she, no, she did. <laughs> she didn't have any video, unfortunately. I was no. trying to find. She was like, "If I do, it's on VHS, but I can't find it." Yes. Um, but uh, she shared one of her favorite memories. And before I share that with you, is there any of your favorite memories from uh, the times that you had? Uh, doing I'm starting media? to media club. I'm just like, whoa, she nobody knows about that. Yes, I was in the media club and <laughs> I Margaret remembers the story. She was she's she's still one of my very best friends. We've known each other. I graduated high school in 1985. Okay. You guys probably weren't even born yet. So <laughs> Margaret and I have I been driving. Margaret McHugh, she we we you know she had a Volkswagen bug in high school and I had a 1971 Buick Skylark and we used to race to school together. But the <laughs> media club, I think there were like four of us and it was VHS and it was a giant camera and we grew up in Port Jefferson Station and there was a little village on the water called Port Jefferson. And we would go with like the two guys were the camera guys. And Margaret and I were like the roving reporters. And honestly, we would just make stuff up. You know, we would be like, <laughs> I'm standing in front of the Port Jeff Ferry. And, you know, we would talk about 
Port Jefferson, where he grew up and the ferry and all the restaurants. But I would love to hear what Margaret said, because I don't <laughs> I don't know. But we did that for a little while. She I said that uh, the crew hated you guys because you two could never keep a straight face during tapings and were constantly laughing and making other people laugh. Um, yeah. the, her favorite memory was, uh, schmoozing your way into the Queen Elizabeth II ocean liner when it was docked in Port Jefferson. And a, yes. a very interesting fact is Diana's grandmother was on that ship. That's how she got yeah. here. That's amazing. Yeah. Margaret and I, we were like the dynamic duo and yeah, we laughed at everything. We were like two peas in a pod and we never took ourselves seriously. And probably that's why the crew didn't like us. I'm much better behind the camera, <laughs> but yeah, the, you know, I really enjoyed that time. I'll never forget it. I would love to see the VHS tape of that because you know, eighties hair, who knows what that. You, know, you got hairspray for days. She said she was going to yeah. reach out to somebody who may have it, but she didn't get back to me in time for, for it to air live. But she said that uh, her and her, I think her daughter are going to be in chat at some point today. I don't know if they're here, but. If her son, her son, sorry, her son, sorry. I, yes, I, that I would love that. You know, she tried to call me and I was wondering what was up. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, so, some weirdo reached out to me. She's, yeah. like, she's like, call me. I would love to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> out of the blue. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's get into some of this. Oh, you're stuff. scaring me. You're like a private detective. That was goes way back. <laughs> oh, you'd be st- you didn't know what you're signing up for, did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was in radio for 15 years as an executive producer and a co-host, and part of my job was finding guests and creating these show sheets to make the host look like they knew what they were talking about. So I figured, why not use some of those skills? To... I'm impressed. And at least Jennifer and my job is to buffer everything so Justin doesn't completely come off. <laughs> come of off you. as a stalker. That's why I got them I mean, too. That was like, there were four of us in that group. <laughs> so I'm like, how did you, did you go to my yearbook? Did you see media club in the yearbook? I don't know. I bet I better confess everything now. I played field hockey. Yes. I, I was in theater. <laughs> you would have played lacrosse if they had a female lacrosse team. That's right. Yeah. So I was the statistician for the boys' lacrosse team. My boyfriend was the uh, goalie. <laughs> Wasn't going to mention him just in case Bertram's around. Don't need him getting yeah, pissed at me. Yeah, okay with that. <laughs> How do you know all this? Wow. I do my research. I spent. 12 hours researching <laughs> yeah i don't know like if, if i'm gonna have if i'm gonna have our our, our a big guest on the show I, I should put in the work the same work that i did for the radio show no this is uh, great i'm loving it all right so uh questions we'll get into some of the, i'll back into some of the questions do you guys have any questions before i go through the list are you justin i'm ready i'm ready for this all right what was the hardest part about resuming the race after covid okay a lot of things. Um, number one was how can we get back out there and keep people safe and, uh, you know, keep people safe from getting COVID? How can we get the teams back, you know, after such a, like a 19 month break, can, can they still do it? Will they still do it? You know, can they leave their jobs? Um, and, you know, reassuring everybody that when we go out there, that we are buttoned up, that we are following the COVID task force protocols and, you know, that we were going to travel with a COVID team doing testing and, you know, just reassuring everybody that it was safe and also not looking to the world. Like, I can't believe they went out there, you know, and showing people that we did do it safely and we did not have one case of COVID. So, um, that was it. Yeah, it was a bunch of things. And it took months and months and months. We were talking about it for months to figure out how to do it because we had such a great cast and we had such a great 
season. And we really wanted to give the rest of the team, we wanted to let them finish out their race too. Yeah. Cause it had to be, I, I can't imagine them that day that they found out that they were into the race. That had to be devastating for everybody it, actually. It was devastating and shocking and, and just to kind of shut everything down and send the entire, I mean, you guys have been out there. There's like 70 to a hundred of production out there. Yeah. Plus, you know, we had, we leapfrog producers ahead to other countries. So everybody was out there. And so it was like shutting it down, but flying people home from all over around the world when things were starting to shut down literally airports and borders and all that. So how quickly can we get everybody home safely? And Bertram really uh, spearheaded that with CBS and, and CBS was wonderful. And, you know, safety is number one. We want to have a fun and entertaining show, but we want everybody to come home safe, you know? So that was number one. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and the network that Bertram's built through his years of traveling and doing all these different shows has got to be enormous at this point. Yes. Um, I know you said 50 to 70 people work on the show, but throughout the whole production of the show, including the locals, how many people total are involved in one season? I'd say in one season, there's easily a thousand people because every single country has like our local facilitation company. And then there are PAs and drivers, translators, local art department, local camera crew, location people, um, production managers, and then our team, it's enormous. And and then it's also, you know, all the people that help us get into the country that help facilitate us coming through the airport and, um, you know, the visas and the carnets, uh, you know, it's enormous. And just here, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but if we go to a country that requires a visa, it takes weeks to months to just get to process one passport. Imagine doing that for over a hundred crew and cast before we leave on the road and buying all of production's tickets, you know, and getting it right every time. We have an incredible visa team, an incredible travel department. It's enormous. So thousands of people around the world are working on the show while we're filming. Yes. And I I don't think sometimes people appreciate some of the minor details that y'all even do with the show. So like sometimes I remember you know, it's not always just the the yellow envelope clues, right? Sometimes the clues are just little art styles for the country that you're in. You may see it for all of two seconds on screen, but right. like that's the small details y'all put in the show that I sometimes think gets overlooked by a lot of people when they're just watching it casually at home. We, yeah, you're so right. I mean, our art department is super amazing. Uh, it's run by JR and Sally Betting, who's been with us since season two, I think, wow. like a lifer. Um, and you know, most everybody was living in LA when this all started and then people, you know, grow up, move away. And she flies to LA to work on our show every season. JR lives in another state. He flies to LA to work on the show and every detail is not overlooked. Every detail is cared about. What is this clue box going to look like? How is this room going to look? Are we, you know, when they run to fill on the mat, what's the background? Do we need, you know, I don't know, anything and everything, you know, flags, banners, clue boxes, all that gets shipped and the mat gets rolled up and it all goes, you know, on on big shipping containers and we pray that it gets there in time. There is so much that goes into getting the show 
on the air and up and running or just ready for you guys to run through and the clue box is there and you rip open the clue. But we've been up all night reviewing all the clues, making sure they make sense and making sure that they're okay. We've got 10 teams. Are there 10 envelopes? And we read those clues three and four times before we actually seal the envelope. I check it. The next person checks it. And the next person checks it. And we always find a little something. We're like, okay, we got to print it again, pull the printer out. And it's like three in the morning and you guys are going to be landing like at seven in the morning. So we're exhausted. There's a race behind the race. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard Bertram say in an interview, he, he stayed up one time for 83 hours trying to get. Oh my God. Things. I don't know about 83, but okay. Maybe 38. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. how, how do you guys come up with the roadblocks and the detours? Is that something that you and Bertram are involved in or is that a whole separate team? No, Bertram and I are involved in all of that, but we do have a challenge department and like I said, art department and the producers. So what happens is in the beginning of a season, we have to figure out where we're going. Um, we have a room in our office called the war room and there is a map on the wall that is, I don't know, it's probably, you know, 15 feet by 10 feet. And we, you know, think about where we were the season before, where do we want to go back to? What would make an interesting route is, you know, hot, cold, rainy, dry, desert, you know, so we try to like mix up the route. And once we kind of have that route figured out, it goes through CBS approval, security approval, safety approval, and then scouting begins. And I will say, since I had my daughter, uh, Bertram does a lot more of the scouting than I do. And he will go out with, um, we call them country producers. So if we're going to Italy, there will be somebody that is in charge of that country. So we scout with the country producer. Then we have the local facilitator that we meet up with and the location scout. And our research team in the office puts together a lot of research and Bertram has been everywhere in the world. And we all brainstorm about what we want to see, what cities we want to go to. And so we do the research at, um, here at home, but then we also find a lot when we get on the ground and we're sitting in the car and we're going out in the morning and we're like, okay, we're going to drive to, you know, whatever it is. We're driving into Paris this morning. There's the obvious ones, the Eiffel Tower, you know, there's certain things that we know are iconic that make great route markers, but what are the behind the scenes things, the little unknown places that we can go to that we try to dig up and find? What, is, what do people do for a living here in Paris? What do people, you know, just like how, what makes this place tick? So that's what we do when we gather all that information, we come back to the office and then challenge comes in and they said, okay, we've got probably going to have eight teams in that location, whatever it is, eight, six, five, four. And how can we do this with a bunch of people coming in, whether it's a dancing challenge or anything, a puzzle, building something. It just takes, it's about four months of preparation. So initially it's Bertram going out there and coming up with the big picture stuff and having ideas, but then it's a, it's a team effort everybody's job is important on the show. It couldn't be what it is unless we were all working together. Uh, one question that gets asked a lot for us is, uh, would you and Bertrand be the best team to ever compete on the race? 100% no. No. <laughs> we would be the worst team. <laughs> the thing, I, I know that because we, you know, we live, we work together. We've been together for nearly 25 years. It is tough just working with the person you live with. Um, and I think part of the beauty of the show is we come from it from very different backgrounds and very different perspectives. Bertram grew up in Europe. I grew up in New York. 
Uh, there's a little bit of an age difference. So we see the world <laughs> very differently. Um, and I think that's been nice because it's been a nice contrast for the show because things that he sees is really unique. I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't even understand that. And I'll say, we should go to the Taj Mahal. And he's like, no, the Taj Mahal. I'm like, Bert, everybody in the world knows the Taj Mahal and wants to see the Taj Mahal. Everybody wants to see the pyramids and the Sphinx. Every, you know. So we look at things very differently. Um, but as a team, Ooh, we bicker a lot. We, you know, I see teams do well that get along that stop to smell the, you know, the flowers and then smell the roses. They look around, they enjoy things. Those are the teams I aspire to be like the people who take a minute and look around and say, look at this beautiful place we're in. Bertram is go, go, go. And I'm the one that would want to slow him down. So I think there'd be a ton of conflict. I would never put myself in that position. Good TV. But made for great TV, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great TV. Amazing TV. So yeah. what do you think is the hardest part of the race? Challenges, getting from A to B, communication with your teammates. What do you think was the hardest part as a racer? Oh. Well, a hard question for me to answer, but I, I see communication as a big pitfall or just getting ahead of yourself and starting to panic because you, you know, as a racer, what I see is as a contestant, you don't always know where all the other teams are. So you always have this in your minds, like, are we last? Are we first? Are we in the middle? I always feel like sometimes, you know, where you are, cause you, you get excited when you see like, Oh good. There's another team there. But when you don't see other teams, say you're driving a car, I think driving is the best for TV, but the worst for the contestants, especially Dear Arun and Natalia, who really struggled <laughs> with driving. And that is, I think, stick shift and driving in a city with just a map and no GPS is super challenging. Maybe that's the hardest thing. Or a roadblock where you can't help your partner and you can literally see the answer or you can literally see, you know, there have been challenges. You know, there was there was in the finale, I think it was season 30. Two for forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. When we're in New Orleans and they had mm -hmm. to get the baby and the cake, mm -hmm. we could see production. I was looking at the baby on the floor and mm -hmm. I was dying for all of them. One of the teams because you know I was like, my goodness, it's right there. I love those moments where the camera zooms in on the yep. answer. <laughs> Just like uh, this last I don't know episode, how those cameramen pull that off because they do it like a pro. Our camera crews are amazing. They see everything. They hear everything. They interview got you guys on the fly. They are director, cameramen, producers. They are incredible. Yeah, they're definitely the best teams in the business. And I know that Bertram is really, really picky about who gets yeah. to be a part of his crew. Uh, and yeah. part, like, and when well, rightfully so. That's like most of the show. I mean, other than doing like the challenges, like when you're at a challenge, it's a little different. So if you're at a detour, you're at a roadblock. But all of the in-between it's really the cameramen that are dictating, you know, who's asking, what are you talking about? Who's asking right. what getting the good shots? Like it's them. And they all have their own little way of doing it too. Some of them are like, they know how to get under your skin and get you pissed off when they need a pissed off shot. And some of them are really sweet and ask nice like, questions. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very savvy. The just the selection process for the crews, because it really is astounding. And the, the production piece of the race was what I was in awe of, I mean, besides everywhere that we went and everything we got to do, but it was just so mind blowing to see everything that, that went into it. And then to have people just like those cameras are just, they are not attached to their bodies. You know? <laughs> and they're 
sprinting alongside us. You know, the, the sound guys have like 50 pound packs on. Um, so it's no joke what they're doing. And I'd love if you could share what goes into like the selection of that. And I'm imagining like a Marines boot camp for them. <laughs> it is a boot camp. I think, I mean, the whole show is like a military operation. It has to be so organized and put together, but the selection of the camera crews, that is definitely Bertram's department and our DP who um, has been with us for a very long time. And it is, you're not just going to be a first time camera person and running on the race. You know, you kind of come up through the ranks and they have to have a background. It's always good to find people that have been in journalism where they've been out there, you know, on the front lines running and, you know, getting every single shot because, and also news, live news uh, camera people, because in our show, as you guys know, there's no there's no going back. There's no second t- chance to get a shot. If they miss you opening, you know, getting the finding the clue or you know something gets revealed, if they're not filming it, we don't have it. It is a live. We we tell the camera crews and try to tell people that when we're filming the show, it is like a live sporting event. It is a race for a million dollars. We cannot ask the contestant to run back a hundred yards and run back to them again. You got to open the door jump out of the car, jump in the car. And, you know, there's a, there's a system to it all. You guys have all seen it. So um, they have to be alert and sharp and super fit. I mean, not everybody, you, I mean, I'm saying this with all respect, not everybody looks like they can run super fast and hard. You look at some of these camera people and you're like, are you really going to be able to run up those stairs? And then they do, they are beasts. And something I do love in the last several years, we have gotten more and more female camera people and sound people. And these women are, they're running circles. Some of them are much stronger than the guys. Sorry guys. But you know, it's, it's a job that you have to be really ready to take because it's like outside and you're running and gunning. It's snowy and it's cold and it's wet and rain. It's like, it's like the mailman, yeah. hell, sleet, snow. And, you know, you got to be out there every single time you're going to get wet. It's going to be cold. You might be camping. Who knows? And I love that part of the casting process, you make every racer put the camera on the shoulders and see how heavy the camera is in the backpack so you they can yes. appreciate what everybody get, what is going through. Do you know that I, um, we have a steady cam operator that did a lot of filming of Phil on the mat and things like that. And I was like, I want to try that on because this guy was like running around and not really like it looked like nothing i he put this around my waist and gets tied up it i it has to weigh over 100 pounds i almost couldn't even take a step in it mm-hmm. it is so heavy and then it's got this arm that you know you could easily <laughs> tip over in either direction mm-hmm. and he's just like leaning back and you know like a ballet that is one thing i love about the camera crews it is watching like a choreographed dance out there. When I see all, there's a bunch of teams and there's camera crew. One guy's getting like the wide shot. One's doing the close up, and they are running around each other. And they know how to work this, the the dynamic of the scene. You know, they know they have little signals they give each other. You know, I got the wide, you got the tight. It's it's beautiful to watch. I I can't fathom how this has hasn't happened already because of you know Bertram's past of being like a, almost a document documentarian. How come there's no a one hour special or documentary of the making of this show? I mean, people would be fascinated to know and see all of the craziness and the things that go into it. Absolutely, you know, Bertram brought this up a long time ago. We've asked about it 
I don't know. You know, it, it's definitely something I would like to bring up. I do. I do feel like we need a whole team following us around and documenting the making of the amazing race. I would love that. We are open to it in the earlier days. You know, the show was much more secretive and nobody knew where we were going. And we were not even allowed to like tell anybody, but like it was a, a travel of show. It's a travel, a travel show. show. We weren't even allowed to talk to anybody and tell anybody where we were going. Like my my parents, it was like, okay, I'll tell you when I get there where I'm going. And so CBS did not want any secrets given away as to how do they make that show and how do they do it? There's, you know, a lot of people that want to try to make their own amazing race. Mm-hmm. And um, so in the beginning, it was fear of letting the cat out of the bag, how it's done. Although, you know, I wish anybody luck that wants to take on the amazing race <laughs> to do that production. It well, is- so there's no way you can recopy that. There's, you, you can't, yeah. you can't copy. I just don't see how they would ever even improve on it. Right. So like you have something that's kind of at the peak. How are you going to, yeah, like the race. So why would you copy the race across the Europe? They tried the fake bootleg yeah, copy. It's just terrible. The moon. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I would love to do behind the scenes. I would love to do that. So you know, you're making me think about it again. So I think we should ask again. Yes. I do think it's historical and it needs to be documented. For Absolutely. Sure. More than an hour long episode, though. <laughs> whatever yeah two two three hour documentary however long it'd be i think fans would just be absolutely enamored at, at, at what really goes on behind the scenes i would love to do that how much how much do you bertram and phil pack okay um i pack a little you know the one that can fit in the overhead mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the bertram and i pack different than phil phil's got a whole wardrobe right so Ber- I think Bertram probably takes a little more than me, believe it or not. So I have it down to a science because what happens is you really realize that you're really going to wear a couple pairs of pants over and over again. In the beginning, early seasons, I was like, okay, I need something for this. I need something. And then you just honestly, you start wearing the same things over and over and you wash your clothes, any hotel that you can get into. So, you know, I pack in the, is it 27 inch? I pack in the the suitcase that fits in the overhead because I don't want it to get lost you know, I don't want my luggage to get lost. I have done that before where I've checked my bag. Um, this happened in India and I was in the same clothes for like four days. And that was, that was unbelievable. Yeah. It was warm. And I was wearing, I think we came from a cold country. So I had like really warm leggings and a long black shirt. And I was like, this is the worst. So Bertram needs but, a separate bag for his scarves, right? He loves his little scarves. Yeah, he's got 500 <laughs> scarves. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to text Bert right now because our dog is scratching my door to death. Please, please get Lola. Lola. Uh, Lola. Um, so, and Phil has two giant suitcases and sometimes we can send some things ahead for him. I'm going to let my dog in. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, do your thing. Oh, we, can, we can handle this. My door, my door to death. Guys, Elise is here. No, please. Yeah, feel free to cut me off. Yeah, feel free to cut me off at any time. I can just. All right, I'm back. I'm back. I have a question. Yes. Uh, Okay. Um, One of one of my most memorable moments on the race, and I'm sure you have a million of them, and you've forgotten a thousand, was in. Tanzania, when we were building the desks, we had actually had to run out and we had all those crocs that y'all set up and everything. And then when I had to find the pairs, there were a whole yeah, table yeah, yeah. full of white crocs. So we had those and I wasn't sure what to do with them after. And I just noticed that there was so many kids around me without shoes. 
So I was so hesitant. I wanted to give them the shoes, but I didn't know. Was it CBS property? Were you guys going to take them back? Because that would be horrible. And I remember you were in the window with Bert, Bert had his little camera. Yeah. And I went up to you and I said, can I give, do I need these? Can I, can I give them to the little boy? And you just said, you do what you want to do. And I was like, and Tyra looked at me, she's like, what am I I'm like, look at them. They have no shoes. So we gave them the kids the shoes. That was one of my most dearest memories from the race. And it was, it was an app. Wasn't filmed or anything like that, and it didn't have to be. My question to you is: Out of all these thirty-three seasons, what is one of the most memorable, heart-wrenching, heart-touching, heart-touching memories for you? Wow, there's a lot of them, and actually, you made me you make me think of the. You know, I you know I I think I said that to you because you were currently racing, right? You were in the middle of the race, and I if I were to tell you to do something for me, that's like almost crossing a line, like. I, I can't say he needs them later. I can't say he needs them now. He wants to give them to the kids. Um, so I have to be very careful about what I say, because what if you needed them later? And then, oh, Elise told me to give, you know, Elise yeah. told me to give them away. And I'd be like, uh, well, that's why we lost. You know, like I always have to be so careful with what I'm agreeing to or even answering on the race. Mm -hmm. But we've done so many things that I don't, I don't know if people really know, but stuff like that, like we built those desks and then we also, um, we left them behind for the students yep. and the school. And then we left all the lumber and supplies and paint and everything for them to build more. And we always try to leave places better than they were, right? We yes. are not a company or a production company that runs through where people are like, I don't ever want them coming back. We open the doors for people, you know, right. to, to come in because we, we really value, um, people and their lives. And it means a lot for us to be allowed to go to places, but we um, we've done things where we've had um, supplies delivered to orphanages, but then what you guys don't see is that we will donate so much more beyond that. So you, there might've been a basket delivered by each team to an orphanage. And then we will give like a truckload of things, school supplies. We've painted schools. Um, there was a season where we were in Ethiopia where we had to mud a hut. So when they build their homes, they throw mud on the walls and that becomes the walls. And then we the, we had the teams carry these um, roofs, these hay roofs and put them on. And we built more of those for the people in Ethiopia. Oh, nice. in, the, in Vietnam, we had this fishing challenge in this fishing village and all the nets and fishing equipment that we used for the, that we bought and used, we left there so they could continue using those to make money. Um, there are so many things that we do that we leave behind. Those are the most for, for the, those are some of the things that I hold near and dear that I love that we've done. There was a tsunami in Sri Lanka years, years ago. And one of the people that worked on our show, his whole, house and village was destroyed. We actually went back and built him a new home. This was not on the race. It was not even documented, but we paid to have his home rebuilt because they were so wonderful to us. There's many, many moments like that. And I also, you know, there's beautiful moments where I see people who are traveling, teams that travel on the road that might be a strained relationship, father, daughter, uh, father and son, where they get to spend this time together and they have like a renewed uh, relationship yeah. because of it. Yeah. I mean, so Mom and I are one of those people. Like, yes, the race really helped me and Mom out. Ever since the race, Mom and I have been on such good terms. And I think, kind of getting into that bubble, getting into you know, we're we are competing, we're doing a race, but we're having this life experience, right? Yeah. That only 500 people 
in the in the world can say that right. they've done. Right. Um, and it creates such a bond that I mean, it helped mom and mom and my out. I it I did. Love that. I love it that. It changed my life completely. I when I came home, the, the one of the things Bertrand said uh, was that you know the race is designed for people to go out and see that you know, see, just see the world and visit the world. And I took that as, you know, being an American and having all this stuff around me that there are so many Americans who don't, they, we, we have this false sense of wonderment. And it, this is the greatest country in the world. No, but, it's not. but what do we have to compare it to? <laughs> right. I mean, so go out there, go out there and prove that we're, we're great by seeing and, and experiencing other people's countries and cultures. And I never really, and I, I was pretty well traveled before going on race. But when I got back, the one thing I didn't realize what I was doing was I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I think I just became a, a far better parent just by being on the race from understanding what I missed and taking the time, just thinking, gee, I, I want my children to see this right. and I want, you know, so-and-so to see this. And the first thing I did when I got back is I planned a trip to Alaska with them. It's just like, we got we to gotta get out there and see. And I, I met had the chance to meet so many people through, and they live vicariously through the race, seeing the That's world. That's so true. I mean, so Joey, that is, that is like the best thing, the way that the race affects all of you that are on it or inspires people to travel or changes people's minds about places that they yes. maybe judged because they're like, oh, I, I would never go to that country or what, what's, you know. And then, you know, there was a situation with um, Ian and Terry, okay? And they were <laughs> earlier on, a married couple, lovely couple and we were going to Vietnam and Ian had, he was like, the last time I was there was during the war. Right. Yeah. So he mm -hmm. was like, was not excited about going there at all, but what happened for him, it opened up his eyes. He saw Vietnam and the cities and the people it opened his eyes to seeing there are beautiful people here. There are lovely people here. They're nice people here. And he, it, it brought him to tears because yeah. he saw what he didn't see before. So you can never judge a place based on what somebody tells you, right. or maybe based on a, a horrible experience as he might've, as he went through, you have to just give other people a chance. You know, you have to just see the world and expose yourself to that before you make a decision. And you're going to find that there's people out there just like you and me and families and kids and, and it, and they just have all the same needs and wants that we do. You know, it's all about feeling loved and feeling safe. Absolutely. Right. Totally. It, if if, if you. you go on the race and it doesn't change you, you have something wrong with your mental. You, you need to get checked. I mean, it's it's such an incredible experience. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's lighten it up a little bit. I don't want people crying in chat. Um, I know yeah. that Neil Patrick Harris, Sarah Jessica Parker, Drew Barrymore, Leslie Jones, huge fans of the show. Have you ever considered doing like a, a, a celebrity version or have celebs like reached out yeah. and said, we want to do this. We've had some celebs tell us how much they love the show. Ultimately it's the commitment of time um, for a lot of them. And, you know, it just, there's also something so pure and beautiful about just, you know, our, our format of right. regular people. Yeah. Would I love Sarah Jessica Parker or Neil Patrick Harris to be on the amazing race? Absolutely. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris. He's such a great dad. I follow him. And, um, he would be so fun if he went with his husband. You know, I could just see the two of them out there. So <laughs> I would welcome any of them to to want to be on the show. I just sometimes it's a commitment of time and conflicting schedules because they're very busy people and they're yeah. running giant businesses. So, yes, it, it's been thought about. 
Is there any uh, is there anything on the race that still surprises you after thirty three seasons? People that don't read their clues. <laughs> it still surprises us. <laughs> or they'll literally run past a clue box yeah. and the cameraman will be filming the clue box and almost <laughs> stop and film it and they run right by it. So it's that race blind, like, I don't know what yeah. you would call it. Yeah. It's race blind. It's tunnel, that's tunnel what we vision. Do it as. Yeah. Straight tunnel um, vision. Yeah, it's tunnel vision because you think it's so much harder or it's it's got to be hidden further. It was like watching the guys this season um it was Penn and he had the race envelope in the train station in yeah. London. <laughs> is this the clue like, it can't be this you're holding it you're it holding literally it was the clue. we talked about that on here it's the clue that you always rip open it's it's so not those, even like a hidden clue those things just shock me and then they see other contestants running by and leaving with that clue and they're still not quite believing it you know it's like <laughs> snow blind I don't know they're in chat right now <laughs> so the race blindness are real I love um, there are there are so many people asking in chat and, and of course nobody nobody in this group who are asking if there's ever going to be an all-stars or a second chance for especially people who came in second no one no one in this group mind you just just the people in chat oh my god i love that <laughs> you yeah, they, 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 they really want to know if there's going to be an all-stars or a second chance or something like that coming up you know, those are always things that we talk about. what are we going to do this season what are we going to do this season um Nothing planned for right now, but you know, I'm hoping to do this for another 10, 20 years. Yes. So I'm sure they'll I'm sure there'll be one of those at some point. Yes, so absolutely. I always thought it'd be kind of fun to have the kids of the people who were on the show that weren't born when the show was That's on. so funny. I oh, told God. I wrote that as a note. I was like, Dan, I'm gonna ask her if they'll I, they'll do a spin on the family season and do kids of people who've been on the race because they've been around for twenty years already and you have People who've had kids and grown up watching the show and people who come on as mothers with kids that are teenagers and now they're adults. It's like, I think that'd be such a cool idea as well. Like the new style of family season. There's a 14 year old in chat and he's with us every single week. He's Blake and he (laughs) wants you guys so bad to do a teen version so Mm. he can be on it because he loves the show. Well, he's only got four more years till he can apply <laughs> to go with a family member or a grown-up. Yeah, but, they'll be yeah. around. They'll still be here. And the Holdernesses are here when they say hello. Yes. Oh, hi, Kim and Pam. <laughs> I follow you guys. I am loving your videos. And wow. I mean, the, the songs that Penn and you do, I love them. I'm watching. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> All right. So um, what are some of the most memorable uh, tasks for you? I mean, obviously, I know that... Phil has said numerous times that the cheese task, rolling down the hill with people falling, is his favorite task. Um, and nobody can forget the watermelon to the face or the 10 hours hay bales. Uh, is, there, is there a task that sticks out in your head as uh, favorite or most memorable? Uh, well, God, those are huge ones. I was there um, with the watermelon. I was the first person to run over to Claire and Brooke. <laughs> that, you know, it's funny to look back and watch, but in the moment... That's terrifying. I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't, I ran, I was not far from her. I ran over and I was just afraid for her to turn to me and her face was not going to be there. I just didn't <laughs> oh even know God. what to expect. And I was shocked <laughs> to see that she was okay. Because, shocked that her teammate said, no, you can't quit. <laughs> you know, he, she had a headache for like a, two weeks after that. I mean, the poor girl. Um, also, same thing with the cheese racks where 50 pound uh, cheese racks are rolling down the hill towards production. Like it was, <laughs> that was scary. You know, in the moment, I'm telling you, it's scary, but those are the best moments. Hay bales, 
my God, I felt so bad for those two sisters. That was, I mean, we literally had to bring Phil out and, and say, girls, we got to catch our flight. We're going to say goodbye here. Um, <laughs> you keep looking. We're going to go now. <laughs> we got to go. I'm so sorry. It's been a hard day for all of us. Um, memorable moments. So, like Those are obviously big, big moments. Um, I mean, there's a moment that season one at the start line, for me anyway, We were all standing at Bethesda Fountain in New York City. It was really cold out. It was freezing cold. And it was the first time starting line. Phil's, you know, saying his spiel. He says, the world is waiting for you. Go. And we're all just standing and they're all running. They're all running away. And we're looking at each other. I was like, we got to go. They're already ahead of us. Like (laughs) this, the speed at which the race goes we are in a race to stay ahead of them, you know, and, you know, they were in subways and taxis and we were like, okay, where's the car? Oh, the car's around the corner. You're like, we're just trying to get to the airport before them so we can get on the flight and see what flights they grab. But memorable moments. I mean, even this season with that bungee jump off the dam, that was something we had done before. I, you know, what I do see is the contestants as the years have gone on, people come on the show and they are thrill seekers, adventure seekers. There's something really special about the first couple of seasons where, you know, there was one team that showed up with rollerblades. I was like, where are you going to ride rollerblades? You've got a camera crew, rollerblade and a giant rolly suitcase. I was like, that's not going to work. Uh, yeah. I don't, so, Jody. Yeah, there's just, there's too many moments. I, they're, they're all amazing and special. When people go to places that they've never been to. It's more for me a feeling that I get from watching them do things or, or overcoming a fear or, and, and coming out the other side, like with their faces just lit up with their, they're proud. They feel good. They've overcome a fear. They've done something that they thought they would never do before. So it's, it's all of it. I don't know. Um, uh, what country would you love to visit, but can't because of rela- laws or flights or danger or things like that? What country have you always wanted to go to, but it's, right now? It, well, I don't even. It's a continent, you know. I want to go to Antarctica. I want. I want us <laughs> to get there, but it's very limited. You can only go in January, I think. And then I'm like, what would we do there? Maybe something with penguins. I don't know. Yeah, it's like dog but, sled. I don't even know if dog sleds can live out there. Like. I don't know. I mean, there are places I would love to go to. We have not been to Israel yet. I would love to go to Israel. Top of my list. Um, I would love to go back to Egypt. Um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot. Um, I don't know. I love Iceland. There's look when the COVID restrictions are lifted, we can pretty much go anywhere, but you know, places like even Cuba that I find that fascinating. Yeah. Places that, you know, we've never really explored. I know. Um, I think, weren't they going to go back to Nepal like this past season? It got canceled because of COVID? I'd love to go to base camp, you know? Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. That'd be cool. Climb Mount Everest. Try. Good luck. That's your Not task. Everest, no. <laughs> Roadblock. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Nepal would be amazing. Just like really remote, exotic places. Easter Island, you know, there's so many places on my bucket list of places I want to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, live live your dream with the amazing race. Go for it. Fiji. Maybe we run into Survivor on Fiji. I don't know. There's a lot of places we still have not been. There's so many. The world is, there's so many places to explore. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, the white, the season one root markers were white and yellow. Why were they changed to white and red? I mean, yellow and red. Yeah. So the white and yellow, they were just a little, 
they didn't pop. It was really just a, a design choice. You know, we wanted something to pop and stick out. They, they were kind of flat, white and yellow. It was, they just blended. They were hard to spot, to be honest. And um, red and yellow really pops. And it just became our colors, you know, it really, it yeah. really looked good. It I, really was I, no other reason than it just pops better and the colors are nice together. All right, we'll do a little speed round here. You could just simple one word or one answer. Yeah. All right, how far in advance are, are each leg planned? I think you already said this four months, right? All right do you know, um, do you go out on location with the teams? Obviously, we know the answer. but Yes, I do, but not always the entire race anymore because I got my girl. She's the only sweet very sweet person that you'll see on the race. Everybody else tries to poke and prod you. Uh, do you oh, do yeah. you do U.S. crews work on the international versions? Yes, they do. Uh, between you and Bertram, how many languages do you speak? Well, Bertram is from Holland. He speaks about five, four languages fluently, and I studied French for seven years, so I can't claim fluent, but I do understand quite a bit. Uh, but Bertram m- speaks German, French, uh, Dutch, obviously English. Italian and some Swahili and a little Portuguese. Yeah. He's just got, you know, people have a knack for languages. He has that. Wow. Would you ever consider publishing the rules that the racers have to abide by? <laughs> the Bible. The, the Bible. Yeah. The rule Bible. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't think it would be a terrible thing to publish them because it's just the rules of the race, but I think CBS might think differently, Probably. but I'm happy to answer any rules questions for you. I only learned them when I broke them. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. you know, it's a thick it's a thick book. Yeah, it is. Nobody reads it. We just sign it. Yeah. What are we I gonna know. say? No, when I found this are you kidding me? You guys read those? I've never seen a word of it. Yeah, Diana, I think Diana read them. I just said, What am I gonna not sign it? I'm signing this. I don't care what the rules say. Yeah. Fun fun fact, Diana's dad was not going to sign the release form because the release form said that you guys are not responsible if we die or something like that on the race. Like yeah. <laughs> She was like, uh, he's like, I can't sign this. And we were like, we'll forge it. Just sign it because there's no way we're not going on the race. Great question from Tom in the chat. Go ahead. Is it possible for seasons 33's lost route and challenges to appear in a future season? Um. Well, we, since we... I mean, sure that we did scout some locations and they were going to be raced through. Yes, absolutely. Um, when we can get back to those countries, you know, yeah, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> so there- yes, absolutely. Because we did a ton of scouting that season. Were there any yeah. challenges on the show that you personally wouldn't do? Um, I will tell you when we first did the, the first 15 seasons of amazing race, I would test Sorry, my dog is making my nose itch now. I would test um, anything and everything. I was fearless. And then my daughter was born. And then I was like, do I really need to jump out of this plane to test it? I've done, I've done skydiving. So um, I've definitely gotten a little less testing done because I just think um, there are risks to everything. And so skydiving is one of them. I did that um, early on and I did it and I loved it, but I'm, you know, it it always surprises me also when people on the show are like, oh yeah, I want to skydive. Like they think because they're in the amazing race bubble that somehow we have the magic dust to that parachute's always going to open, but you do take a risk. And that is part of the reason why that 
document gets signed. That is, you're really skydiving and you were really bungee jumping. Didn't you hear Penn? The Amazing Race would never let you get injured. That's what he told his I wife. I heard him. <laughs> I heard him. But I did see him crying when his he yeah. thought about his wife not coming back up. So, you know, it hits you hard when it when you realize it's the real thing. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, so I used to do everything, bungee jumping, you name it. I did it. Hop in the water, swim with sharks. I was in a lot of the shark tanks testing all that stuff in Australia when we swam with sharks. Um, I would still do that, but the skydive is probably the only thing I won't do anymore. Okay. That's, That's a, kind of it. As a fan of the show, uh, do you ever go back and rewatch seasons? Uh, um, and if you do, is there a favorite season that you enjoy watching? I, I did. So I'm working on a project that I will just tease here. I won't tell you what it is, but I did go back and I watched the first five seasons of Amazing Race. And to see those clue boxes and we had like this crazy little mat. It wasn't the big Amazing Race mat that we have now. It would be like a mat from the country. So it might be like a little carpet in Morocco that they would stand on. Um, so I went back to look and I saw the contestants were not wearing the quick wicking, quick drying, you know, racing clothing that we were wearing jeans and sweaters. And it, it was just a very different time. I loved going back and watching those first couple of seasons. That's one of the things that bothers me about the Cowboys. Like, all right, you've been on the show three times. You, you know, that jeans are the worst thing that you could possibly wear on the show. Okay. Just put on, Liz, put something Liz else. Liz started on. my season with jeans and cowboy boots. 29. Cowboy boots. The dancers, <laughs> the dancers had, had shin guards. They wore shin guards on the race like <laughs> I, what are you wearing shin guards for <laughs> like all right our season we're still in jeans so <laughs> sometimes it's just a staple of the wardrobe comfortable. Um, you have to be comfortable that's really what it's about what is your must-have snack when traveling i always have a couple granola bars of something whether it's um i can't think of the brand right now but um I always have a couple granola bars because there's always a place where you're going to be starving. I mean, I remember uh, filming season five. I was out by the pyramids in Egypt, in Cairo. And, uh, you know, we thought everybody was going to get through the challenges much quicker. Then the sun started setting and it got really cold and we were hungry. And I was like, I'm never going to let that happen again because you always should have water and at least five power bars in your, in your pocket, uh, always water for sure. And electrolytes, if you can, they have them in the powder form. Yeah. Uh, you just don't want to be caught stuck somewhere. Like I was the security slash uh, health team has definitely uh, gave us some of those electrolytes during yeah. our season. So it was Absolutely. like, everybody's sweating and they're like, dude, you need to drink. hundred oh, percent. You need to oh, drink. Never, yeah, there was one time, I think that stuck with you at least subconsciously. Does that, I'll never forget. It was after Buenos Aires. Like they didn't have the snacks or out anything. And you were like, we need snacks for these people. Like, yeah. <laughs> I got hangry and angry because you guys are like my kids out there. Oh, I and loved it. No, no. It was like, it was like the perfect, it was like the perfect mom. Yeah. You're not going to see me get mad until, until I get mad. I won't, I won't say his name, but we all know the big, scary, bald headed guy who does not care about any of the races. Uh, yeah. He, <laughs> and he's the head of the medical corps. He's like, Oh, it's not broken. You're fine. Like whatever. He and, keep you alive. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. He, he literally, he literally, he told me leg one after I broke down and started crying and he saw me and he goes, you won't make it very far. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, geez. thanks, bro. Thanks. Oh, that's enthusiastic. Yeah, it's Justin, like, he's a little sweetie under there too. Is he, he doesn't no, show sure. at all. It is an act. It is like he is playing a character. I'm convinced of. Because I don't, I don't know if I've ever shared this on here. Is after we got eliminated, there was concern I had broken a rib on that candelabra, 
So he was like examining me and putting a little ace bandage on me. And he was like, I was a nice seeing this, but I'm sorry you were eliminated. Oh, wow. That's big. Yeah. There's a heart, but you better be really hurt. It's just a blister. You have a bruise, you have a black and blue. Sorry. You know, yeah, no, he's, uh, yeah, he could use a little, uh, He's from a different country, so that's why it's like, you know, they, they have different standards on on what makes a, an injury. It's like, that's just a blister. That's not yeah. good to say that. giving you the Band-Aid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other guy, the other two are really, were always really sweet. But he yeah. was just like, I never asked him for anything. I was like, he hates me for some reason. <laughs> uh, for being kidnapped, basically. That's yeah. really, you know, he's got real big things to think about. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Not that that's ever been a concern, but that is the stuff that there is being thought of. I, I was in Morocco uh, during 9-11 and we contacted our team and I they got me to a safer place. So, you know, yeah. it's a bigger it's a bigger machine than you imagine. Absolutely. Um, like, I, I didn't anticipate you hanging out this long. Um, uh, I don't even know the time is 5.15. Okay, keep going. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, I feel bad having you here for this long. Uh, but yeah, and then as far as the recap goes for the fans watching, we'll do the recap whenever Elise wants to go. Or if you want to hang out for the recap, we can start. If you want to start the recap, I'm happy. I watched the show probably 15 times with <laughs> all the editing. Okay. I, I have another half an hour if you want. Okay, For guys, sure. guys, you want to we do can it? blast through that. All right, let's yeah. blast through the let's recap. Do it. I want to make you let's, cry. 